The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Monday edition of Afternoons with Mike. On the line with me today, the first time uh, that I've had a chance to talk to Michael Johnson. He is the president of the Slavic Gospel Association. He's based up near Chicago right now. Uh, calling from an area near Rockford. If anybody uh, on know a lot of our listeners would be from the Midwest, uh, moving down to Orlando or or the villages or in Gainesville. So we all are familiar with that. Of course, that's not too terribly far from where I grew up in Indiana. Welcome, Michael. It's great to have you on the line here today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, we're excited to find out all of the work you're doing, especially in this time because I know that uh, the Slavic Gospel Association is involved in helping equip Jewish Christians uh, and, and also feeding Ukrainian Jews in Ashkelon, which is obviously under attack real near the Gaza border. And so that's been going on now, what, uh, October 7 was when all of that happened. So this is a big work that you're doing. We're going to find out all about that coming up in a bit. Let's first of all find out about you, my friend. Uh, tell us how you came to be a part of this organization and maybe uh, how you even came to know the Lord. Well, it's a long story. Um, but as I tell it, uh, I look back in my life and you know, the one consistent thing in all of this is that God is faithful. And he directs our steps, and he certainly directed my steps to where I am now. So I grew up in Connecticut, um, and um, I, I remember I, I attended the Congregational Church, the same one that the noted theologian Jonathan Edwards grew up in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, um, yeah, so that was a, it was a good experience for me. And um, so I. Uh, eventually, when I was 19 years old, I got into a car. I drove out to California with some friends of mine and wanted to take a year off from college. So we ended up in Southern California, and that was in 1974. And it was sort of on the tail end of the Jesus movement uh, that was taking place at the time out there. Right. So uh, I, the only job I could find was working in a gas station uh, just to make enough money to live uh, while I was out there. And there was a guy who was the mechanic. Um, there at that at that um, at the gas station, his name was Danny Murphy, and he was long hair. He had a he rode a chopped out Harley Davidson, and and I got to know the guy, and and he and I were talking one afternoon, and I did no, notice something different about him. So he asked me, he said, "What are you doing tonight?" I said, "I'm probably going to drink some beer or something." I said, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Yeah, he goes, my wife and I we got choir practice." I said, "You do? Why?" He said, "Well, we go to church every Sunday." I said, "You do really?" And I said, why do you do that? He goes, well, you know, we're Christians. And I thought to myself, you know, I was head of the youth group and in my church, and I did a lot of Christian activities. And I said, I smiled. I said, well, that's great. So am I. And he looked at me and he goes, no, you're not. So I, I, wow. I was taken aback a little bit. But he had a <laughs> smile on his face. So he said, listen, you know, meet me over at the Uncle John's Pancake House in Santa Monica. And... um and I'll buy you breakfast tomorrow. So I said, okay. So I went over there, and it was a meeting of the Christian Businessmen's Committee. And 
Uh, it's a it's a you know it's an organization that um, was set up many years ago to minister to Christian businessmen, and they do Bible studies on a regular basis in different cities. And so the guy there that was teaching, his name was Tom Brewer, and he was he's an expository preacher, and he was going through the Book of First Corinthians, and I had never heard Bible teaching like that before. Oh, and the Lord great. really touched my heart and kept drawing me back uh, to the. Um, uh, to that Bible study, and I'd ride my motorcycle over and meet him, and and so um, within a couple of months, I came to faith in Christ. Isn't that so? He was so, right. I mean, the guy that was pretty bold, wasn't it? That he looked at you and yeah. said, "No, you're not." <laughs> yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was a defining moment in my life when I was 19. Yeah, and so, uh, and, and so you were so, just taking a year off, just out there working mm-hmm. around and. I, I would imagine part of the party scene of California, Southern California at that point. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, but I really, it, it, but really my focus after that uh, was, I, I got focused on my new, on my newfound faith. And so we found a church in the Pacific Palisades. And, and at the time, uh, many of your listeners may know who Hal Lindsey is. He wrote a book oh, yeah. called like, Great Planet Earth. Oh, yeah. And um, he had started a Bible institute out there called the called the Jesus Christ Light and Powerhouse. And um, there were a number of guys that uh, were there um, from Dallas Seminary that were, would teach. And, and it was really set up in recognition of the fact that there were a lot of young people at the time who had come to faith in the Jesus movement but who needed Bible training. Mm-hmm. So um, I enrolled in the school, and I spent two years there, and um, got my, you know, got a good uh, foundation um, under me in terms of my faith and the basic doctrines of the scriptures, and um, and it was a great experience. And so, um, so Hal Lindsey baptized me in a swimming pool in Malibu. That was kind of interesting. Wow! And so uh, that's so a anyway, great story. So, yeah. So from there, I I finished my undergraduate uh, work out there. And um, uh, and and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, so I eventually got in the business world. And I met my wife, uh, my now wife, uh, who was um, – she worked for an advertising agency, and she produced television commercials. And I got interested in that business. So we ended up – we got married, and we ended up moving back to New York City, where I was an advertising executive in New York City for 10 years. And I worked on a lot of consumer products, you know, Tide detergent, Tylenol pain medication, and uh, and it was really fun, creative business, and I really enjoyed it. So we ended up living uh, in Brooklyn, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. We attended the EV Free Church out there. Mm-hmm. Took a short-term missions trip to Albania uh, as a result of a of a of a missions leader that had come and spoken in our church, and God began. To, and this was back in the I guess mid early 90s, and so. And God began to open my eyes to what he was doing in the post-communist world. I'm not quite sure why. And um, so a few years later, um, the individual that orchestrated that short-term missions trip uh, uh, had become the president of this ministry. And um, I was thinking at the time and praying about, you know, what does an advertising executive have to do with ministry? How does that skill set work? And so he calls me up and he goes, you know, Michael – we have a great story to tell about what God is doing through his faithful churches in the former Soviet Union now that the wall has come down. Mm-hmm. Churches who were persecuted for many, many years, churches whose pastors were taken away and killed for their faith. But God is building his church in those countries. 
So we need a professional like you to tell that story to the Christians and to the churches here in America. Wow. Will you give up your advertising career and come and serve at the ministry of the Slavic Gospel Association? And I thought to myself, you know, as an advertising guy, that was a really good pitch. <laughs> <laughs> you were familiar with the pitch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. And so we came, my wife and I came and, and, um, and talked to the, you know, we interviewed and, and came out, came to Rockford. And so, um, so, um, at the time I'd gotten my, I got, I had gotten a huge job offer in New York, um, with another firm. And, and on the same day that I got that offer, I got the offer to come to work at SGA. And, uh, so, so Bob's provost, his name, he sent my wife upstairs to pray about it and, and he didn't think that, that we were going to take the job. But I just went up and I said to my wife, Aaron, I said, what do you think? She says, well, I just think that God is leading us in this direction. If, and if we don't follow his direction, we're being disobedient. So mm. so we came down and accepted the job. So I worked here for about seven years uh, and then left. And I consulted with ministries, helping them in their fundraising uh, and strategy. And then uh, seven years ago, they invited me back as the president. So after Bob Provost retired. So basically wow. our ministry is about, you know, we do three basic things. You know, we're connected to, you know, the Baptist evangelical churches in every country of the former Soviet Union as well as in, in Israel. Mm-hmm. So uh, we exist we, we exist to serve the churches in the former Soviet Union to, one, train pastors in sound theology and Bible study methods and, you know, preaching um, practices and, and, you know, all the fundamentals and we sponsor, we, we, you know, we're the largest sponsor of, of theological training in those countries wow. among this particular group of, um, of churches, and it represents about 6,000 churches across those countries. And second of all, we sponsor national church funding missionaries, send them out into previously unreached towns and villages to preach the gospel, to plant new churches, and then we equip them with resources to meet both physical and spiritual needs of the people in their, in their cities, towns, and villages so that more people might hear, more people might respond, more people would come to faith in Christ and be discipled in strong Bible churches. So we equip them for orphan ministry. Um, We sponsor children's summer camps. So last year, I think we sponsored 65,000 children to attend Christian summer camps. We have a program called Emmanuel's Child, which is a Christmas outreach, and we equip churches to help attract people to their Christmas celebrations. But uh, we're now we're heavily involved in um, humanitarian aid and compassion ministries. Mm-hmm. So when the war started in Ukraine, um, we partnered with the Baptist Union churches in Ukraine. At that time, they had about 2,600 churches. Now they're down to about 2,300 because they've lost a number of churches uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the war situation. Yeah. And so we, along with them, you know, we... we we funnel all the all the uh, material resources and humanitarian aid through the churches, and so at one time we were the largest provider of humanitarian aid in all of Ukraine <clears throat> because of the distribution channels that we have through the churches. And everybody that receives food in their time of distress hear a clear presentation of the gospel. So as a result of that, we're seeing significant growth in the churches throughout Ukraine uh, in the midst of the war as this war continues on. So God is really doing huge work through his churches uh, in that country. So basically, we're an equipping ministry. Um, We don't send missionaries over there. Uh, We equip the nationals to do that. So 
we have administrative offices in Minsk, Belarus, Moscow, and, and Kiev. Mm-hmm. So we can get the resources out across all those nations, um, and then we get wonderful reports back of people whose lives have been impacted by uh, the work of those churches. And in my favorite verse, John 4, 37, 38, Jesus said, for in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So we have the wonderful opportunity as a ministry, as well as allowing our donors and supporters to enter into the labor of these wonderful churches as Christ builds his churches throughout those nations. What an incredible story. And, you know, you go back to the genesis of the real faith move that God did in your life. It comes back to that guy that you met, and he challenged your faith. And, you know, here you are, you're thinking because you grew up in a church, and it, like you said, it worked out well for you. And I think a lot of people are in that boat today. They just don't know they're in that boat. And yeah. they, they're going, and it's, uh, it, you know, I, I'm there, and uh, I, I go on Sunday, and I give a little bit. That's a huge difference than in that and what happened to you in your life when suddenly you are taken by the gospel. You're taken, like you said, you were wrapped up in your newfound faith. And that is such an inspiring story because none of us can see the end from the beginning. And the beginning mm-hmm. for you was a guy who's challenging you, and you just took him up and going to a breakfast meeting. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty exciting, yeah, my totally. friend. It is pretty exciting, yeah. And Danny, is uh, he, he's, he's still a good a good friend, and uh, we, we spend time together. He's a supporter of our ministry. And, um ah. Yeah, it's it was just one of those moments. It was a God moment, and the Lord, Lord the Holy Spirit, got to hold my heart. And um, and then you know, then I responded. That's right. And you know, you mentioned the word a defining moment, and I think that you could list back in this story that we've just heard you share. There are several of those defining moments. One of them that I caught, and I loved that you shared it, was when you were making that decision to leave your advertising career. And you employed the faith of your wife in getting her heart. I think so many people don't uh, talk that over with their spouse the way they should. Mm-hmm. But boy, I tell you, in my own life, I, I look back, there's there, I, there's no end to the value of my wife's opinion and her heart yeah. and her faith. I, I love the fact that you had that jointly made with her faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, she... Um... It was difficult. I mean, we had young kids at the time, and um, I gave up a, a, a highly lucrative job opportunity in New York uh, to do this. But you know, uh, whatever. That none of that mattered. I mean, it. You know, God. You know, God. God provided for us, and, mm-hmm. and we were able to put the kids in Christian school, and um, and so it was. You know, it was just one of those things that. You know, God was here, and he prepared the place for us, and he had us here for a time, and then he brought us back. And what's interesting is that um, when I left, the Lord moved me in another direction, and he moved me to another city. And we tried to sell the house. All the other houses around the area were selling, but ours wouldn't sell. And the reason it wouldn't sell is because God foreknew that he was going to bring us back to the ministry. And yeah. 13 years later, we came back. Isn't that something? So you had that all along, all through the time that you were gone doing that other work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That is so incredible. Michael, it is so nice to hear a faith a story like yours. And again, I go back and I, I'm thinking about the fact that 
you are doing this work. You've been impacted uh, by ministers who were preaching, although it doesn't sound like you ever carried the role inside of a church. You've always worked alongside, and uh, that role of being a marketplace minister has worked out just fantastic for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it has, and, and it really has given me a great skill set um, to advance our ministry and our work. Because um, you know, you see, the biggest complaints that people have about ministries that they support are two things: one is you didn't thank me, and two, you didn't tell me what you did with my gift. Okay, so so people like to like to be acknowledged. So you know, we have a really good system of thanking and acknowledging people. And then, and whenever we thank somebody, we ask, we meet for prayer every morning. So we pray through the request that comes through our supporters. Um, but then when they say that they don't, uh, you didn't tell me what you did with my gift, they're not asked, they're not telling you that you didn't tell me what you did with $100 I sent you. They want to know about the lives that are being changed for eternity. Right. Uh, as a result of their faithful prayer support and financial support for your ministries. Yeah. So because we were connected to six uh, up to 6,000 churches, uh, we have people all throughout the former Soviet Union going out, gathering those stories, and, 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 and it puts us in a position where we can share those stories of life change with our supporters. And we push them out through all kinds of channels, digital channels, newsletters, all, all those kinds of things, so people can look at that and see – that as a result of their support for our ministry, God is is equipping churches uh, to bring the gospel to people. Their lives are being changed. Uh, we hear stories of broken families that are healed, orphans, you know, that come to faith in Christ. You know, people in the midst of you know these huge, devastating wars now in Israel, uh, where Christians are coming and ministering to them. They're coming to faith in Christ. And that really is, um, it really helps our supporters to understand the value of their prayerful support for this ministry. Wow. It is so exciting to hear all of this from you. My guest today is Michael Johnson, and he is the president of the SGA, that is the Slavic Gospel Association. And when we return, we're going to hear how they are doing such an amazing work, not only with the Ukrainian Jewish people, but also in the area of Ashkelon, which has been hard hit in this most recent war. So we'll be back with Michael in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. You're on The Shepherd. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. 
On the line with me today is Michael Johnson, president of SGA, the Slavic Gospel Association. During the break, oh my goodness, a story that uh, because of the fact that I knew this man, Michael Johnson, was part of an organization called Douglas Shaw, which places some of the people that we have on the shepherd, for example, moving forward and also uh, running to win with Erwin Lutzer. And so I just asked Michael in the break, I'm sure you know these guys. And there's a, a, a third fellow that I mentioned, John Nasby, who's actually all of these people have been on my program. Uh, and he knows them all. But there is a particular story about Erwin Lutzer. Now, this man is a dear man. I get to hear him every year. I get invited to Douglas Shaw's NRB breakfast that we do. And he just is a riot, man. He's telling jokes and popping stories that are uh, just keeps us all in stitches. But but he has a heart for the gospel like none other. I mean, he obviously was the longtime president uh, of uh, Running to Win and also the pastor at Moody Church in Chicago. Tell us the story that you just uh, told me about Erwin calling you. Well, yeah, Erwin Luther is a um he's just a wonderful guy and and by the way he he was he was the pastor of the Moody Church and it was the Moody uh, the, the founder of our ministry when he came to America uh back in the early uh, uh 20th century uh he got saved in the Moody Church under Paul Rader's um oh, wow uh, when Paul Rader was the pastor there so we have a strong connection to that church but but Erwin um, uh, Luther has a real passion for uh, Belarus, and so he goes. Oh, he has gone over there on a fairly regular basis to do teaching in the seminary, and, and it's a seminary that we sponsor here at SGA. And so we got a good relationship, and um, and so he called me. He called me a while ago, and he said, "Michael, I have a real problem." I said, "What's that?" He says, "I need to get," and, and he and he provides personal financial support for the ministry over in Belarus as well. So he calls me and he says, you know, I got a real problem. I said, what's that? He said, he said, I need to get money in Belarus, but I don't know how I'm going to be able to do it. Uh, I said, well, what's your plan? He said, well, I mean, I think it's, I, I think I'm going to have to fly to Germany. And then, you know, the guys in Belarus are going to have to, you know, come and pick it up and then bring it back to Minsk. And, and, um, and so, and that's the only way I can do it. He said, "You think there's another way we can get it done?" I said, "Well, yeah." I said, "You know, go to our website sga.org, go to our hit the give now button, send the money, send the send the money to us. We'll notify our office in Minsk uh, to distribute the funds to the person that you wanted to get them to, and he'll have them there. He'll have it there by tomorrow." <laughs> it's that old it. it's that old fashioned easy button that you just easy, gave. Yeah, easy peasy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was so happy. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I'm sure he was. And knowing him, he has such a heart for people. He loves the, the gospel story. And uh, mm-hmm. he is just one of the most fantastic speakers that I've ever yeah. heard. His voice is oh, amazing. Yeah. Oh, and like you said in the break, he does a fantastic Billy Graham impression. Yeah, yeah, he does. A, yeah, he does. Yeah. It, have it, you ever heard him? Do, have, have you ever heard him do his um, his uh, Calvinistic Billy Graham impression? No, I don't think I have. Not so, the, um, we used to work with R.C. Sproul, and so I was in R.C. Sproul's office, and R.C. said to me. 
He goes, who else do you work with? I said, well, you know, we have, we have a variety of clients, but Erwin uh, Lutzer is one of them. He goes, he goes, oh, yeah, Erwin Lutzer, that guy does a great, you know, Billy Graham impression. I said, yeah, I know we've all heard it. And he goes, have you ever heard his Calvinistic Billy Graham impression? I said, no. So here's R.C. Sproul doing an imitation of Erwin Lutzer doing an imitation of a Calvinistic Billy Graham, which was basically, <laughs> basically, okay, you know, the 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 meeting is over, the escalators don't work, the cars won't start, you don't have a choice. <laughs> That's it. You got to <laughs> yeah. do it. It's, it's, yeah, I heard a joke similar to that one time about the, the Presbyterian that fell down a flight of stairs and he survived yeah. it and he got up and he said, well, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. And I love it. I, I love that we can joke about these things and uh, knowing I, I, R.C. Sproul had such a heart for the gospel as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, these little differences, oh, yeah. they don't have to separate us from loving each other and being able to find that joy and laugh with each other as well. And I know both no, of these great men loved God as, you know, what you're doing. It, and just to have that kind of a network that you've set up and this organization, mm -hmm. I say you, I mean the, the Slavic Gospel Association at work doing things that the rest of us wonder about, like what Erwin was doing. How can we help? Yeah. What can we do? And you and your organization, you're a source of that very thing. And like you said, you've got offices all over the place, all throughout mm -hmm. that area. Okay, you mentioned, let, let's let's dive into this just for a moment. First of all, you mentioned the work that you're doing in Ukraine. Let's talk about mm -hmm. that for a minute. Then we'll go to Ashkelon. So um, we had been in discussions with the leadership of the Baptist Union churches in Ukraine, uh, they anticipated that the invasion was coming, so we did some strategy work with them. So in the event that the that the Russians did invade, they had a plan that they could then implement that would result in um, uh, ministering to people who they knew would be internally and externally displaced as a result of the conflicts. So we put all the systems in place to get humanitarian aid and, and other resources to uh, the people, <clears throat> and um, and when the war did start, uh, we helped to engineer sort of this underground railroad so that the people in eastern Ukraine were able to make their way across the country and stop at churches along the way to get ministered to uh, as they were trying to make their way out into eastern Europe and the other parts of, um, of Europe as well. So um, with regard to Israel, I was in Israel um, the day that the war started uh, between Russia and Ukraine. And by that time, there were a number of refugees, Ukrainian Jews, making their way into Israel. And that only continued to grow as they were fleeing the war. So the Slavic churches in Israel that we're connected to, and again, you know, we fund a theological training ministry through the Israel College of the Bible, which is part of the ministry called One for Israel through our Bible teacher, Oleg Karaki, Dr. Oleg Karaki. And so um, I was traveling with the Russian church planters that we sponsor in Israel, and uh, they would meet people you know, at the airports as they were coming into the country, helping to find jobs, helping to find places to live, and so on and so forth. So a majority of those people ended up in the southern part of Israel in the, in Ash in the Ashkelon area. 
<clears throat> so fast forward, when the war started um, in October, uh, Ashkelon was ground zero. And there were missiles and drones and all kinds of things. And, and these folks found themselves in a situation where they were fleeing Ukraine because of the war there. Now they found themselves in the middle of another uh, yeah, conflict yeah. in Israel. And so it was really difficult. And many of those people hadn't found jobs yet. They hadn't gotten fully uh, settled into Israel. They didn't have any way to, you know, they had access to funds or money or whatever. And the, cl- and, the, and the stores were all closed down. And so the churches in Ashkelon, the Slavic evangelical churches in Ashkelon, uh, they knew where these people were. <clears throat> so they were able to connect with them. And they would just simply, you know, they put food packets together and um, they would just go out and knock on their doors. And these people were, you know, had spent their days between, you know, hunkering down in their apartments and then hunkering down in the bomb shelters. And they didn't know what was going to happen to them. And they were frightened. They were scared. Uh, and they didn't. They they looked. At, they, they they couldn't figure out how they got in this in this situation after fleeing another war. So that opened up tremendous opportunities for uh, these churches and pastors who were visiting these people to share the gospel with them. And um, not everybody was open to it. They certainly appreciated the uh, the food and the humanitarian aid. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the first thing they asked these church workers when they came in was, why are you doing this? And they just said, listen, we're from the local church, and you know this is part of our ministry, and God has led us here, and we know you're frightened. We know... You know, you're losing hope, and uh, we're just here to not only help you, you know, with your physical needs, and but you know, we're help help you with your spiritual needs. So mm-hmm. that obviously opens the door for them to share the gospel with them. So the way it typically works is that they put put food packets together that perhaps would last a family of four, maybe ten days to two weeks, and they would come back and visit them again and give them some more food if needed, and so on and so forth. And a lot of great relationships have have been developed as a result of this. And some of these people, they ask for Bibles, and some of these people have asked for ongoing Bible study uh, activities as well. So it's a great way to connect with people, to meet their needs, show them the love of Christ on an ongoing basis, Mm -hmm. and then invite them to the church. So they're starting to see an uptick in people uh, coming to their churches uh, in that area as well. Now, these people that are there, I mean, how, what a shock that had to be. They're escaping, like you said, Ukraine because of the war with Russia, only then to get to Ashkelon and, and basically be bombarded there from uh, the, the Hamas organization. So this is a very concerning time. It's still going on. It's not a. It's not as uh, safe to travel right now. Apparently, and certainly in that area. But a lot of people are are even hesitant, and there are plans that I know that I've heard friends who were planning on going. Uh, how is that, in, from your standpoint? How is travel at all to Israel right now? Is any area right now? Is it happening in any area? I think so. I mean, I I was thinking about going over there. Um, but Oleg, you know, our the main coordinator of our work over there suggested that I don't do it um, because obviously, you know, the most of the tr- the fighting is taking place in Gaza, mm-hmm. um, but only about twenty percent of the of the Israeli military is in Gaza. The rest of them are up in up in the north in anticipation of what might happen with Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so for us, you know, obviously we have churches situated. 
in the south, uh, but we're also connected to Slavic churches situated in the in the north as well. So, in the event that uh, that the fighting uh, that 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 that, in, that an invasion would take place in the northern part of Israel uh, from the West Bank, uh, we would be able to uh, mobilize uh, churches up there to minister to displaced pe- displaced people as well. Because I mean, these guys are really brave. I mean, you know, in, in Ashkelon, I mean. You know, with between the missiles and the drones, then they had then 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 Hamas had snipers up on the top of the buildings, the apartment buildings, you know, shooting people in the streets. Just and unreal. Oleg, yeah. uh, our our coordinator there, he he lived in an apartment in Ashkelon on the tenth floor, facing the Mediterranean and facing Gaza. And uh, a couple of months prior to this, he and his wife were sitting in their living room. And the sirens went off. They immediately got up, and two seconds later, a missile dropped into their living room and killed the woman in the uh, apartment below. Oh my goodness! And and so you know they've they know what it's like, and so the Lord protected them because if they wouldn't have gotten up and went around the corner because they were headed toward uh, the bomb shelter, they would have not uh, survived. That's right. Oh so my goodness! I mean, that's the kind of thing that's going on. And then you know, so they went down and they interviewed him. And the, the, so the Israeli you know, media interviewed him, and it was broadcast all over the country. And he basically said, "My Lord and Savior Jesus Christ saved me uh, from death in this." And so wow. it, was, uh, it was quite a, quite an effective witness. Michael, I'm, from your standpoint, you know, hearing this story, I mean, it brings it to really down at home, really in our hearts. Here's a believer, uh, a a Christian, living there in Ashkelon, and. Do you feel that people here in the U.S., do they have a, as a complete a picture as to just exactly what believers are going through in that part of the world? Do you think they have a clue? I don't, I don't think so. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, for us, we it's difficult. I mean, one example of this, we serve churches, okay? That's our passion. That's what we do. And the Lord is, we have a huge harvest field throughout the former Soviet Union. And so um, so while this has been going on in Ukraine, we're also equipping churches in Russia that are ministering to Ukrainians uh, who have left Ukraine and moving either into or through Russia. Uh, so uh, we're, we try to remain as politically neutral as possible in this because, you know, this is all about building the church. So, um, so, you know, for us, uh, yeah, there's, there's conflicts. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, politics and, and, and when we say we're working in Russia, you know, we get, we get attacked a lot online and so on and so forth. I bet you do. Yeah. But, but our goal is to, you know, minister to these people who find themselves in situations that are basically hopeless. They don't know what's going to happen to them. Yeah. And, um, and that's where the churches, you know, we equip the churches to meet their needs, both physically as well as spiritually. And again, we see a lot of fruit as a result of this. So, you know, we're equipping churches in Belarus, we're equipping churches in Russia and Kazakhstan and Moldova, um, uh, Georgia, and all those surrounding countries, because the refugees have, have, been, have spread out all throughout those regions, as well as the work that we're doing in, in Eastern Europe. And so right now, you know, we are funding theological training to Ukrainian refugees in 
Poland and the Czech Republic who are ministering to the millions of Ukrainians that have crossed the border yeah. borders and settled in those right. countries. Yeah. So, you know, God is using this to expand his work. And I want to tell you something, you know, Ukraine is, is, was the, is the buckle of the Bible belt. And, you know, and these people are really strong believers. And Eastern Europe is a very spiritually dark place. And mm-hmm. these people are now lights in the middle of a very stark, dark spiritual uh, atmosphere in those countries. So God is really working in all of this. Just like and, in the Bible, you know, where persecution happened in uh, Jerusalem and it spread out from there. And these gospel stories went out with them. And that's exactly what God is doing right now. He's using yeah. all of the war and all of the efforts from people like you. They're equipping these people who are displaced and now they're finding a new home, not a geographic one, but a place of the heart and faith in mm-hmm. Jesus. What a wonderful work you're doing, Michael. Uh, give us the website for SGA, if you will, Slavic Gospel Association. That's sga.org, sga.org. And um, uh, um, I, yeah, so... Uh, you can, you know, if if you're interested in supporting our work in Israel, there's a place where you can do that on our website. All right, that it would be great at this time of year for people to visit that. Simple as it is, sga.org, and then you can hit, like you said, with your story, uh, you can hit the uh, donate now button, and there you go, and the work mm-hmm. is going to be done. Michael, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Love to have you back on sometime. It's a fascinating story of God's delivering a person from one direction, moving him in another, and look what he's doing now. That's just tremendous. I'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Here we are for segment three, and my guest in the studio is Brianna Burdett. You're part of this fantastic place in Winter Park called Allegro. Now, I've got to say, as a former band musician in school, I played sax before I got on the guitar, which became my life. So I saw the word Allegro Mm -hmm. all the time in music. And uh, that's the name of the senior center that you work in. How long have you been doing this? So I actually have been up with Allegro for the entirety of the community. Uh, So I started about six years ago when it was under construction and we had a visitor center, which was essentially a trailer in the parking lot uh, that we worked from and watch it grow and and become what it is today. Uh, But I love that you picked up on on that Allegro terminology because it it is a musical term and it means lively. Yes. And that's what we want in our community is is a lively, inspired type of of option. Play it with Allegro. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I can like... hear my band director now. Yeah, that's it. And you know, this uh, thing of senior citizens getting older, uh, working with seniors, uh, the baby boomers are, have been there for now for a while. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing a, a growing in Central Florida, a growing senior population. A lot of people are choosing the lifestyle and the comfort 
even the care. Now, a lot of places offer one of the three kind of services that you offer, but not all three. You offer all of them, independent, plus then you have those that need assistance, Mm -hmm. assisted living. And then you also have a third option, and that is for memory care. Is that right? That is. That is. So it's it's still assisted living, but it's a secured small assisted living. So uh, great for those that have Alzheimer's or dementia and need that type of supportive environment. Because that is an around-the-clock kind of care thing for those, right? 100%. 100%. Right. So you're able to do all of that. Tell us a little bit about this piece of property. Where is it? Uh, what what uh, is offered there? Yeah, so we're we're located off of Hal Branch Road, uh, very close to the intersection of Hal Branch and 436. Uh, we're called Allegro, and we offer independent living, assisted living, and memory care, and it's all under one roof, which is a beautiful option, I believe, just because it allows our residents in independent living and assisted living to enjoy the same community and the same amenities. And so, somebody that comes in and starts in the independent portion can naturally transition when they're ready, but they're not going to be sacrificing anything because they need a little bit of help. They Mm -hmm. still have access to the pool. They still have access to the beautiful activities, to their friends in independent living. They're not going to sacrifice it just because they're going to move to a different area within the community, which it's essentially just a, a different hallway. Now, you've been there long enough where you've probably seen that kind of transition. Right? Yes, very much so. Very mm-hmm. much so. I, I always believe in, in coming in as independent as you can to truly get the, the value, I think, out of, of the community and, and all the programming that we offer. But yes, it's, it's wonderful that we're able to keep our residents and they'll make that transition to the assisted living and then sometimes even to the memory care neighborhood once it's, it's more appropriate for them. Talk a little bit about uh, the process of uh, getting in as a resident. How does that happen? So a lot of times I'll meet with the the resident or their their family and give them a tour of the community and really try to paint a picture for them of what their life would be like when if they chose our community. Mm-hmm. Really paint that picture. This is where you're going to come down for breakfast. All of that kind of stuff. This is where you'll come if you want to read a book for in the library. So I think that that is one of the things that uh, is very important is to go on tours. Uh, It it takes a lot of time and energy, but it's very important to get eyes on the community that you're going to be looking at. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pictures can sometimes be deceiving. So going in and and it's almost like when you go to uh, go pick a college, you want to go visit it, feel which one feels like home to you. And and I think that that is hugely important. So uh, come in, start the tour process. uh, And then uh, if we're talking about independent living, there's the there's not going to be a huge medical type of need uh, as far as uh, background Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. What kind of official work does one, if they do have medical problems, what do they have to go through? So there's an assessment process when somebody is moving into any assisted living in the state of Florida. Uh, there's a medical form that their doctor actually has to complete telling the assisted living what they think we, they should be doing. Mm-hmm. So they'll look at their activities of daily living. So things like toileting and dressing and grooming and an ambulation and let them know, are they completely independent? Do they need supervision or do they need assistance? So then what happens is uh, the prospective resident comes and actually meets with, with the nurse of the, the community. 
and has that that's where it's important to have that open and honest communication because Mm -hmm. this is where we're truly fine-tuning the care plan okay your doctor feels like we should be helping you with some showering so what days of the week do we want to schedule that on do you prefer mornings or evenings and hugely important is just that open and honest communication we want our residents to be as independent as they can for themselves we're just there to meet them where they have that, that those needs. Now, what about food? Because, hey, I'm a, I'm a lover <laughs> of food. What happens uh, there? Because I know you've uh-huh. got, again, all three of these groups, mm-hmm. and they're, they're important groups, so you, have, you take care of them. We do, we do. And no matter where you go, again, in the state of Florida, meals are required to be provided. So three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we have snacks available between times. Now, independent living is set up a little bit differently. Uh, Those residents are afforded a full kitchen within their apartments, but a lot of times they don't want to do as much cooking. So we include uh, about an average of two meals a day uh, within the rates. Essentially, they get a breakfast and then we do dining dollars where it's set up sort of like a country club is where they get, they're afforded so many dollars each month. And as they're coming down to the restaurants in the community, there's prices on the the menu and uh, it's just done like a spend down. Mm-hmm. All right. That's really nice. And it's it's a good choice for people to do this when they, uh, you know, it's good. I think it's a great idea to kind of work your way up to that assistant if you can do it. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of that, is this a difficult thing for a lot of people to do to be able to afford to live at one of these centers like what you work at? I, I do think that there's a there's a lot of money that can be definitely involved in, in independent living, assisted living and memory care. But there are ways out there uh, for money to be available. Uh, Some people have invested in long-term care policies. And a lot of times I find that they don't even realize that they have these policies that are sitting there that will actually pay for assisted living, either entirely or a great portion of it. Uh, Then there's also a benefit that is out there for veterans. It's called aid in attendance. And I, it bothers me so much that not every veteran uh, out there knows about this, this uh, benefit, but uh, there is an application process and you do have to qualify for this, this benefit, but there is money available for, for veterans and their spouses or surviving spouses that can help pay for the cost of, of assisted living and memory care. What's the usual time that a person needs to have, let's say a window from the time they start investigating Allegro? Mm-hmm. And they actually move in. What what is that span of time like? Oh man, that can be, that varies quite a quite a bit. I have some that that come in and they really just love it, and they they've been in community types of settings in their past, and so I think it's a little bit easier for them. And they come in, love it, and they want to move in right away. I have others that. I've been talking to for the six years that I've been with Allegro and uh, they just haven't found that that time or maybe that event. Uh, mm-hmm. Some have acknowledged that they're waiting for an event uh, to make a move. Now I could only imagine you've been there six years. Mm-hmm. What was it like during COVID? Oh goodness. Uh, during COVID it was, it was very, very frustrating and uh, very so different. It was the exact opposite of what right. we offer and what we encourage that community, that that engagement with others. But I'm so proud of the fact that we we did keep our residents safe. Um, we were on lockdown just like mm-hmm. the the entire country was, and but our residents were safe. Uh, we did not have anybody pass away from COVID, oh, which that's was good amazing. To know. Yeah. Um, and I actually did a really neat interview with several of my residents early on in COVID. What do you think life would be like if you were at home right now? Do you think that what, what would this look like? How would you be getting your groceries? And so many of them were so thankful that they were in a community setting. 
no, we were not doing our happy hours and, you know, all of that fun stuff like we, we had because we had to socially distance for a while, all of that kind of stuff, and slowly brought all of that back. Uh, but they knew breakfast, lunch, and dinner was going to be at their door. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody was running out of toilet paper and they didn't have a way to get to the grocery store, well, first of all, we might have some on hand that we you just brought back off, a very <laughs> bad memory. <laughs> exactly. We, 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 I think we've all done a really, really good oh, job man. on forgetting that very yeah. first part of, of what COVID brought oh, for us. Goodness. So um, thankful that it, it is for the most part over. Yes. <laughs> I remember sitting, well, two, really two big pieces of news uh, came during this time where we had a family member visiting us and got sick. Mm-hmm. and needed to go to the hospital, which they went to the Altamont uh, Hospital uh, Advent there in Altamont on 436. And while we were there, it was announced on the news that the very first COVID patient in Florida was at the Advent Hospital in Altamont. We, oh. were, we were there, and I'm thinking, wow, that we picked a great time to be here. And then secondly, I'm up there and my wife says, Mike, I just saw a news report that toilet paper is not available. I said, that's got to be wrong, hon. That can't be. So I said, on my way home, I'm going to swing into Target. I want you to know they had one package and I got it. And it was probably triple the price of what oh, you normally well, I don't, I, it was. It's just crazy. And that whole time frame, I, I pray we never get back to that again. Yeah. Like I said, I think we d- we're doing a really good job of almost like blocking out that yeah. portion of our, our memory. <laughs> Remove the memory, Lord, yeah. please. Uh, what do you like most about what you get to do at Allegro? What I like most is, so I'm that initial person that somebody meets with when they're considering or considering, considering senior living. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, a hard process. But what I love most is when we're sitting back, you know, after they've already moved in and it's a couple years down the road, I have a wonderful, wonderful story that I, I remember so fondly. It was a family that was just a very difficult move and just so emotional, you know, leaving the house, all of that. Uh, but then mom's walking in our fashion show for uh, the Mother's Day. And, you know, I look at her daughter and she's sitting next to me and I go, so couple of years ago, you thought we'd be sitting here right now. And she started crying because she's like, it was so emotional for her seeing what her parents were going through. And yeah. so that good side of, of quality of life, that is what I enjoy with what I do. I think anytime you're helping other people, there's a, a special kind of endorphin that is released mm-hmm. in our own hearts that, and that's what you're experiencing. Give us yeah. the details on how people can find out about Allegro. Yeah. So if anybody is interested in Allegro, they can find us online uh, or they can give me a call. My phone number at the community, it's 407-622-2648. Uh, but we're also located at AllegroLiving.com. Uh, you'll find we do have several properties, uh, but we're located in Winter Park off of Hal Branch Road. All right. And uh, this has been uh, Brianna that's been with us here today. Brianna Burdett from Allegro. We wish you the best and really uh, thank you for what you're doing to care for people the way you're doing it. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. You've got it. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.